aren't really core values unless they're lived out. Core values are really practical. Core values have to be lived out. So if you think about it, think about your relationships, think about your family growing up, think about um, uh, the way, just the way you live your life, your job, your, the company you work for, the church you're a part of, you'll recognize that the way we do things, those tend to be our core values. So um, we've identified five core values that, that Trinity Life has, um, and we've seen these through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts in the Bible is, is the book that chronicles the history of the early church. So Jesus the, Jesus has, has died, he's resurrected, he's ascended to heaven, and he said to the 12 disciples, it's all yours. Take the church and expand the kingdom and, and go out from here. And that's the book of Acts. It shows that expansion. So we're ta we've taken movement. Um, next we'll talk about community. Then we're going to hit boldness, transformation, and truth. Those are our five core values at Trinity Life. And we're going to hit movement today. And this is how we define it. Um, this is what fuels us, these values fuel us as a people, they define us as a body, uh, they display who we are to the city. So this is how we define movement. We know that we're a part of something greater than ourselves and our time. We can't fully understand it all, but we know there's an eternal kingdom movement directed by God's spirit, and it's both personal and global. This is the book of Acts. So, like I said, Jesus has, has, has ascended into heaven, and he leaves the apostles, the disciples, with this task of expanding the kingdom, of ushering in the kingdom of God. And the entire book of Acts is based off of Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to the disciples, and he commissions, he commissions them, and he says, You will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is patterned after this. So chapters 1 through 8 in the book focus on Jerusalem. Then the next three chapters focus on uh, Judea and Samaria. And then the final chapters, 11 chapters or so, focus on the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And, and each time, in each of these segments throughout the, throughout the book, we see 3,000 souls added, 5,000 people come to faith, men, men and women come to faith here, and it says the gospel is increasingly getting greater and greater and greater. So you see throughout the book that it just picks up steam. It starts from this little, little small group, these, these disciples, and it just spreads like wildfire. We even see throughout the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, there's this great persecution. Even persecution doesn't stop the church. Actually, what it does is it fuels the church and it makes the church spread into these other areas because Acts chapter 8 is the marker for the, the gospel going into Samaria. So we see that persecution even, when people try to keep the church down, it actually serves to uh, embolden the church and push the church forward. So this is, uh, Daniel said this so well earlier, um, the book of Acts is our story. The book of Acts is the story of the church. We are the church. This is our story right here. So we want to insert ourselves into the story. Just a little, just a little um, Bible reading, biblical interpretation note for you guys. When you read the Bible, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't, get, I don't get this, I don't know what's going on. Just try inserting yourself into the story. Say, well, what would I have done in this situation? How, how, does, this, uh, how does this look in my life? 
um, and that'll, that'll help you a little bit. So um, this is all about movement. This is our, the first core value we're talking about, um, and this is all about movement. So movement happens when we join God's story. That's what's happening here. The disciples, they've recognized that Jesus is, has ushered in a new age. He's ushered in something differently, and they're joining God's story. In the Bible here, the scriptures, that's, that's our story. God is saying that, uh, uh, well, he's revealing his story through the scriptures, and he's saying that this is your story. So whether you are a Christian or not, whether you consider yourself a believer or not, wherever you are on your journey of faith, um, the Bible makes no qualms about it. It says that this is the true rendering of the real world. And it says that this is your story. Um, because it was always for us. Because Jesus is saying, this was always for you guys. God is saying, this whole thing, I've always done for you. So we're going to hit 10 characteristics of movement out of Acts 2, 14 through 41. Um, Ryan read the, the last portion of that, but we're going to start with verse 14, and I'm going to point out 10 characteristics of movement and, and how, we, how we as a church body, how you as individuals and us as a church get involved in movement. So number one, movement starts when we stand united. This is coming out of verse 14. Verse 14 says this, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, and then he goes on and he starts preaching his first sermon. Um, it's really cool there uh, that it says Peter standing with the eleven. It's almost like this, uh, it reminded me, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It reminded me of uh, the Avengers. Have you guys seen that movie? I knew I'd get something out of her. Uh, <laughs> like, um, or, or a superhero movie like X-Men. Like Wolverine, Iron Man, like these guys are like rogue agents, right? But when they finally decide to, to play with the team, to be a team player, like it's like this kind of vision. Like Peter, he, Peter's like this. Um, he's like Iron Man. He's Wolverine. I'm Captain America. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's like one of these kids. He's like Ninja Turtles. Anyone a Ninja Turtles fan? He's like Raphael, right? He's like this rogue agent. But now... Peter's like standing with the 11. And the, the writer makes a huge point about this. Luke is the writer of this, of this book. He also wrote a gospel. Um, and, and throughout the gospel, you kind of see Peter doing his own thing. But now he's like, here, I'm here with the 11. You know, when, when Daniel and Linda, so Daniel and Linda, uh, myself and Missy, we, we moved up to Toronto with, with, um, separately. Um, when, God, when we decided to plant a church together, um, when we met each other in the city and decided to plant a church together, um, you know, there weren't like, uh, it wasn't like, I mean, we, we prayed, we, we sought the Spirit, but it wasn't like fireworks in the sky or we didn't like say we're going to come together on like a, a wish on a comet or anything like that. It was, it was just through, it was through the Spirit, really. It was through humility. It was through wisdom. It was through discernment. And that's what we see has happened in Peter's life. Um, in order to stand united, we need to stand uh, humble. We need to stand in humility. And God says when that happens, then he will lift us up. He says when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. The problem is a lot of people in our city just want to do life alone. A lot of you guys may want to just do life alone. Um, even as a married couple, you may want to do life alone. Um, but that's not 
how God's created things. That's, he hasn't created us to do life alone. Even from the very beginning, he said, it's not good that man is alone. He's created us to do things together as a community, as a body of believers, as a body of Christ. So why would you want to do life alone? Why would you want to do it apart from a community? And that's what's happening here. It's the birthing of this, this uh, movement in this community that we are actually a part of now, that it was thousands and thousands of years ago, and we can say we're a part of it. So number two, movement is noticed when it looks different from the cultural norm. Here in verse 15, uh, it says uh, Peter has to defend the people because the Spirit has just come down on them, and everyone thinks that they're drunk. Everyone's like, oh, these guys are drunk, but it's 9 a.m. He's like, these guys aren't drunk. It's, it's 9 in the morning. Um, and so, so we need to be not the people that, not people that are drunk or look drunk necessarily, but what's happened here is they've done something against the cultural norm. They don't look like the rest of the city right now. They don't look like the rest of culture. And movement is noticed when it looks different from the cultural norm. Uh, like I said, Jesus has ushered in a new age. He's ushered in something different. And we need to look like something different for, to our city. Um, and we can't be something new if we look like the same thing. Okay? Um, and that means uh, a lot of times... And in a lot of our lives, we're chasing the same things that our city is chasing. We're chasing uh, the great career. We're chasing the, uh, the success and the money. You know, think about it. What, what are your idols? What idols do you have that, that, you need, that you need broken, that you need crushed? For me, it was money and, and success. Um, you guys look at, look at us, and we look like we're, I don't know, 22 I had a girl guess I was 22 the other day, and I said plus 12. <laughs> uh, we did that. We, um, I mean, money, money and success, I'm not going to put Missy into this. They're my idols. <laughs> I don't think Missy has any idols. Um, uh, we, money and success were my big idols. Um, for Peter, it was pride. It was pride and status. You can see that through the Gospels. It was pride and status that kept him from from realizing his true identity in Christ. So I don't know what your idols are. Um, it may be one of those. It may be acceptance. It may be independence. maybe work, materialism. It may be religion. Um, it, it may be any one of those things. But we need to recognize those things, crush them in our lives, and, and live differently than, than our city does. Now, I'm not saying that the good job, the great family, um, you know, I'm not saying those things, those things are bad. Um, I'm just saying the way we use them is differently, is, is different from, from our city. So we came to a point in our lives when God crushed those idols, and we recognized that anything that we have in terms of money and success is for him, is for the kingdom, and it's only for the kingdom. And, and that's a different perspective. That's a perspective shift that our city doesn't have. Um, the other hand is we think, oh, it's all for me, it's all for me. So... Um, that may be like your big idol right now. That's, that's a, a big one in our city. Um, give those to God. Give those to God um, and exchange those values for kingdom values. Number three, there's ten of these, so I'm going to bust through them. Number three, movement happens when the scriptures are recognized as authoritative. So you see here in verse 16 that, that Peter doesn't just get up and talk. He doesn't just get up and say, you know, this is what I think about this, and I'm going to give you guys a little pep talk. 
he goes to the scriptures and he, and he preaches his first sermon and he goes to the prophet Joel and then he expounds what Joel says for the present day. That's what we do here on Sunday morning. We take the scriptures and we expound what the scriptures say for the present day. It's exactly what Peter is doing here. The key is, um, the key is, uh, is this authoritative? You know, these, these people have recognized that this is authoritative. He preaches from, from the Old Testament, which, which were the scriptures in that day. He takes a, a figure in the scriptures, um, and he says, look, guys, look around you. Like, this passage in Joel is being fulfilled right now. He's, he's like, this is happening right now. Like, this is God's story. We're a part of it. And I'm telling you, like, this, this story, we're a part of it. That's happening right now. What we're about to read, we're in these days. When, when Peter said this, he didn't say that this was the only day that this is happening. He said that we are living in these days right now. Like, this is our story. And so we can, we can insert ourselves as, as Peter did. We can insert ourselves as Joel did. Um, you know, in, in Luke 4, and Luke is, so there's Luke and Acts in the Bible. Luke is the gospel of, of Jesus and tells about Christ's life. Luke also wrote Acts. So Luke is very much like part one and Acts is, is part two, okay? Um, so in Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus, right, right at the beginning of his ministry, he goes into the, into the synagogue or the temple and he opens the Isaiah scroll and he reads from the Isaiah scroll um, and he reads this section of the scroll and he looks up and he says, that just happened. <laughs> He's like, that just happened in your presence. Like, I'm the one. This is talking about me. Um, and when that happens, everyone in the temple just marvels at him. Everyone just marvels at his words, that he would say, wow, this is, this is me. Like, we're in this story. Um, a couple more things happen, and they end up trying to push him off, off a cliff. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a couple other things are in between that. And then he, he walks straight through them. Now the Bible says he just, he just walks straight through them. They're like pushing him off a cliff, and he just walks through the crowd. Um, but Jesus is saying that, that uh, we can do that. Like, that's us. This is our story. Um, Emerson and Reagan, <laughs> so I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, Missy, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half ago, started, like, telling them stories. She would just make up a story for them. So they love to do that. They love to make up stories. So if, if they're sitting in here, they'd make up stories, and Emerson would be like, there were two princesses, and there were, like, great curtains, and... Um, we were in the K Club, and like she would take stuff from her environment and put in the story. Oftentimes, it involves like her being a princess, um, Reagan being a prince or a princess, me being a king or a prince, and Missy being like a horse or a monster or dragon <laughs> or something. Because <laughs> we can't have that many princesses in the family, apparently. <laughs> um, but what, but what they do is. They use their imagination to create a story, but they make it concrete. Like, she brings in, like, she can't, she can't make up a story without saying, we were in the K-Club, and there were great curtains, and I was there, and you were there, and Dane was there, and we were all doing this thing. Um, and uh, that's, that's, uh, that's what's happening. Like, she takes reality, she puts in the story, and they make it concrete. And 
the Bible does that. It's, it's taking our world and it's making it concrete for us and saying, this is actually your story. I know I'm saying that a lot, but I want you to get that. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we just read it and we think, oh, it's so divorced from us. Or it's like way over here and I don't know how to even, how's the Old Testament even apply to my life? How, does I, how do I read this and, and what does it mean for me today? Um, but it's all about God's story and saying like, you belong, you belong in here. And it just, it just goes back to the question, does the Bible have authority in your life? Do the scriptures carry weight? Do they carry authority? And you may even say, well, yeah, they, they do. Um, but what kind of authority? In those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So it's not based on socioeconomic status or skill or anything like that. Movement is impartial. And he says this uh, in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or your Bible can translate it sometimes as whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Whoever. It's impartial. It's blind. Um, there's some people <laughs> There's some people who think too much of themselves. Um, and I know probably a person's, a person's name popped in your head right when I said that. Um, but there's, then there's also some people who think too little of themselves which can be just as detrimental. Both are, both are really blinded. Um, both those types of people can miss out on what God is doing because one is blinded by uh, pride, by arrogance, and the other is blinded by fear, by insecurity. And actually, a lot of times, the people who think too little of themselves are actually the ones who look like they think too much of themselves, which is, which is kind of ironic. Um, you might not live in one of those. You might not live in, in here or here. But which one do you visit more often? Which one do you, do you go back and forth in between? Um, just think about that. Because movement, movement is blind. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, matter, uh, it doesn't matter what skills you have. It doesn't matter what, uh, what you look like, what, uh, how much money you have, or anything like that. Movement will move because the Spirit is moving. And God will use anyone to do that. In the Scriptures, he even uses a donkey. Um, so what does that, that say? Uh, so movement is impartial, number five. Number six, movement is the impetus for signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are not the impetus for a movement. Okay? Movement is the impetus for signs and wonders. So when movement happens, that's when signs and wonders happen. It's not that signs and wonders happen and then movement happens. Okay? The scriptures are always in this order. Um, we, we say, oh, I want to see, see healing happen. I want to see um, whatever. So I want to see people, people walk again that were paralyzed. Or I want to see um, miracles or, or things like that. Um, and that's good. Like, that's, that's actually not a bad desire. It's a good desire. What we should say, actually, though, the desire that should trump that is I want to see the church grow. So in Acts, in the scriptures, whenever the church is growing is when we see signs and wonders. Okay? And, and, and Luke makes that so clear because he, 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 mark, he marks them throughout the book. He says, the church is increasing here. Boom. Look at these people getting healed. Look at, they're speaking in tongues. Look at, you know, all these things. Um, oftentimes we get caught up when we just want the signs and wonders 
And that is not how God does things, guys. If you look around the world right now, um, signs and wonders are happening all around the world. In the Chinese church, the, the, the gospel is exploding. In the global south, uh, there's movement happening in South America and Southeast Asia, Iran. I met a guy uh, that's been to Iran recently. Um, and that's the fastest growing church in the world right now, in Iran. It was crazy. Signs and wonders are happening. But they didn't precede the, the, the growth of the church. Okay? The church grew, and out of that came signs and wonders. So do we want signs and wonders? Yes. Is it our driving force? No. Ushering in the kingdom is our driving force. Church growth is our driving force. And when I say church growth, I'm not meaning uh, just Trinity life. I'm meaning the church, the universal church, that we want to see the kingdom expanded. When In, in the Gospels, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes, John the Baptist is on the scene. Jesus has just started his ministry. The church is growing. Disciples are coming to Jesus. People are getting repenting and being baptized. John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, are you the guy? Are you the one? And he looks at me and he says, are the lame walking? Are the blind seeing? Are people getting healed? And he goes and he points to these signs and wonders, but it's only based on that, that disciples are, are coming around him. So um, that's, that's key. Number, am I on number seven? Number seven, movement is according to God's plan. So this is coming out of verses 22 and 24. Uh, Peter's still preaching here. He's still giving a sermon. He says, he says, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. And he goes through this and he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God knows when movement happens. Movement happens because God ordains it to happen. He knows it's going to happen. He causes it to happen. Um, I love, I love uh, classic literature. Um, actually, I take that back. Um, I don't love classic literature. I actually just think it makes me more intelligent when I read it. Like, have you read, I'm trying to work my way through Don Quixote right now. And it's the densest, it's so dense. Um, I just finished reading Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, one of the best novels ever written. But it's like, it took me forever to get through it. It's so dense. Um, it's so uh, just intricate. But I just read them because I feel like they give us such a perspective on history and what was going on at the time. They pull out themes in society. Um, it increases my vocabulary, all those things. Um, uh, I love read. I also just finished The Hunger Games, so I, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read teen girl novels too. <laughs> now we hit Twilight next, I don't know. Oh, uh, no? Okay. Um, so, what's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I also read Goodnight Moon <laughs> to my girls. Um, so, uh, classic literature is great. This, this novel, Crime Punishment in particular, he does a masterful job of drawing you into the story, making you identify with the characters in the story, um, pulling you into uh, just, just their struggles, their identity, the intricacy of the plot, all that stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just a, a novel. It's just fiction. Um, 
The Bible is actually the most dense, intricate plotline ever that I've ever read. This is the the most difficult book I've ever read. Um, but it's different. It never crime and punishment never claims to be reality. It's it represents reality to some extent um, because it pulls out themes in society, things like that. But it never claims to be that this is how history happened and this is the truth. Um, the Bible is different in that. The Bible claims to be God's plan. It claims to be the truth. It says that this is the real world. It's authoritative in that sense. It's, a, it's authoritarian in that sense where it says that this is the real world. This is the true perspective on the world. There, is, there, there may be some other truths in the world, but this is from God's perspective. Okay? Um, so wherever you are in a journey of faith, God wants to intersect his story, this story, with your story. And this, if you're here this morning and you're not, and you're not, uh, you want to consider yourself a Christian, um, or you consider yourself a Christian, whichever, um, your, God's story is intersecting with your story at this very moment, this very time, as I'm speaking. Like, if you're here this morning, then God's story, you've intersected with God's story because you've intersected with the church. And the church is a major part of God's story. So if you're here this morning, there's a point of intersection. You can either keep on going on your story, and who knows where that leads. Cul-de-sac, come back down, dead end, come back. I don't know where, where that, or it may lead into the wilderness, who knows. Um, it may lead to your idols, who, who knows. Um, or you could turn and come, on, come in line with God's story. And that's what's happening here. Peter's saying, this is God's plan, that Jesus was crucified, that he took on all of your sins, all the world's sin, that he had to die, guys. Don't you get this, he's telling them. That the perfect life had to die, who was both God and both man, in order for us to come to God. God came down to us so that we would come to him. And he says, and he was raised up for our sake, so that we could trust in that, believe in that, and be called sons and daughters. And that's your story, he's saying. That's your story. Your story doesn't have to be working 12 hours a day uh, to get the condo and the car or whatever. Um, your story doesn't have to be, you need the perfect family. Your story doesn't have to be, I need this or that. It's all in Jesus Christ. And he's telling them that right here. And that story is never going to end in a dead end. It's never going to end in a cul-de-sac. It's always going to end in God's presence, his grace, his love, his mercy, his peace, his goodness. It's going to end in all, all good things. So, number eight. Movement is selfless. Focus on something greater than yourself. Um, I'm going to hit this one quick because we're, we're running out of time. Uh, but this is coming out of verses 25 through 28 uh, in Acts chapter 2. Basically, I'm just highlighting that uh, David is prophesying here of Christ coming. This is uh, a thousand years before or something like that. He's prophesying that, that Christ is going to come. And Peter's saying, look, look, Jesus fulfilled this. Um, and David does this selflessly. He does this in humility. And what, what's awesome about David's story is he takes a fugitive, he takes a shepherd, a fugitive, and he makes him into a king and a prophet. Um, and so when David becomes part of God's story, we see God do great things through him. Um, so just want to 
Yeah, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna hit that. So movement, movement is selfless, focused on something greater than yourself. That's all movement. It's focused on something greater than us. So if you want to ask me about that later, you can. Number nine, movement is created in the previous generation, experienced in the present generation for the sake of the next generation. Okay? Movement doesn't just happen when we show up. Movement has been happening, and we've just joined it. Like I said, we've just intersected with God's story, we've joined it, and we're moving, and we're moving along with it. Last week, Daniel and I met this, uh, Daniel Lynn and I actually met this um, pastor named Harold Peasley. He is a South African pastor, been a pastor for who knows how many years, 40, 50 years. He's in his 70s, maybe 75 or so. Um, was uh, in South Africa, and he had a choice. He could either go to Australia, or they wanted to be close to their kids. He could either go to Australia or move to Toronto um, to be close to, to their kids and grandkids. Um, and this is, this is what his deciding factor was. Uh, he said, God, where do you want me to move? I have, I have probably 10 good years of my life left, maybe 10 years at all. Um, and I want you to use me, however you see fit. Um, and God brought him here to Toronto. Um, he's 75 or something like that, guys. And he's saying, he's recognized, he's recognized that I've lived, I've lived more days than I have left. Right? When, when in your life, you may have not gotten to that point yet, when in your life, are you going to realize that you've lived more days than you have left? I realized that about, I don't know if it's true, but I realized I should live like that about four years ago. Um, that I may have lived more days than I have left. Because who knows, right? Who knows? I might walk out on the street loading up the trailer today and a car hit me. Some, someone from Cabbage Town may run me over. I don't know. Uh, we don't know, right? So when are we going to start living like we've realized that? I hope it's not until we're, I hope it's not, I hope we don't wait until we're 75. I mean, is God great? And we sing about it, we, we, we say it sometimes, but do we really believe it? That's what's going to push us to live that way. By living with the reality of who God is before us and what he's called us to do here. Um, ben, why don't you guys come up uh, while I go to number 10. Number 10, movement demands a response. We see this in uh, the last part. This is what Ryan read earlier. It says here that, Now when they heard this, now when all the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter didn't even have to ask them. They said, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do here? He responds with this. He responds with the gospel. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all those far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And he says in verse 41, so those who received this, who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000. The only reason that 
I am in church right now is because somebody invited me into God's story. Actually, I should say somebody invited my dad and my mom into God's story when I was 10. We just moved back to the States um, in the southwestern U.S., and a church plant had started in the neighborhood, and the neighbor across the street, we were friends with their kids. She just kept on inviting my parents over and over again. You may be here because someone invited you over and over again. Um, my parents knew. They were in their 40s, and they knew that they were missing something in their lives. It took them five or six months until they realized that was Jesus, and they gave their lives to Jesus. And I knew it immediately. Um, I was telling someone this morning, like, they just changed. There's a huge transformation in their lives. The way they disciplined us, the way they talked to us, my, my, my uh, twin sister and I, the way they... Um, the way they led us, the things we started talking about, things my dad stopped doing. Um, but it was all because someone invited us into God's story and said, this is your story. This is, this is where you belong. Like, you're a character in this. You're a figure in this story. You're an integral part of this. So if you're a Christian in here, who can you add to God's story? Who as a church are we trying to add to God's story? The only reason I'm a church planner today is because someone invited me to a church plant years and years and years and years ago. And then God, I was part of God's story and he worked in my life. And the only reason I moved here to plant a church was to add people to God's story and say, the story that you're living isn't the story you're meant to live. And it may look great, but it also may look really lonely at times. It may be depressing at times. But in God's story, He overcomes those things. He has overcome those things. In you, you're no longer a slave. In you're no longer a slave. In Him, you are a son. You're a daughter. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you no longer have to live wandering in the wilderness in your story. Because today, at this moment, your story is intersected with God's story. And he's saying, join my story. Join my eternal movement, the movement that's been going on for ages and ages. He's just saying, join it and watch me work. Watch me give you peace and love and joy and salvation and goodness and community. So, should Trinity Life, should this body of believers be one of your top priorities? We're doing a, a sermon series called All In. Should, or, or I should say, should the local church be one of your top priorities? Um, if you're here at Trinity Life, that's why I would say Trinity Life. Um, and I would say yes, not just because I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, But God's story and the church's story are one and the same story. The church's story isn't over here and God's story isn't over here. They're the same story. And they're ushering in the kingdom together. And so if you consider Trinity Life your church, then that's what this series is about, to say, let's be all in together. Let's see movement happen. 
Because guys, it's happening around us. We just need to join it. And all in doesn't mean you come here once a week. This is just a really, actually, this is a really small piece of who we are as a church. Um, it's a, it's a big part of our public face. But it's really a small piece. We do so, the church is so much more than this. So are you all in? It's not possible to be halfway in the Christian faith and halfway out. It's not possible to be halfway in the church and halfway out. You're either all in and you're out. So let's be all in together and join God's movement. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our story can be your story, that your story can be our story, that you can say, I am your God, you are my people. What a tremendous, amazing truth that is. So join us to your story this morning, especially for those in here who just, who have never known your story, never recognized it in their lives. Pray that today, Spirit, that you would open their eyes, that you would lift a veil from their hearts, that you would soften their hearts, that they would know that their story is intersecting with yours and they would come onto your path. By just belief in who you are, Lord Jesus, that you died for them, for their sins, that they would be called sons and daughters. You're raised to new life to give us new life. And that's how we can pray these things in your name. Amen.